This podcast is brought to you by Score Foundation. Hi, my name is George Abraham and welcome to Iway Conversations. My guest today is Karthik Soni who uh, is in the United States and he works with Microsoft and he's also one of the co-founders of iSTEM. So Karthik it's so good to speak to you after a long time. Welcome. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me on the show. It's been uh, it's been almost a decade that I was uh, last on a show with you. So it's 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 a lot to talk about and I'm uh, pretty excited to be speaking to you again. You moved from India to Stanford. That was a big story in India and uh, so would you like to recount the entire scenario which led to your relocation from India to the US? Um actually it all started when I was in class 10 uh, and at that time um CBSC the central board of secondary education had rules where if you were a blind student um the only classes that you could take um were uh, you'd only study commerce or humanities you couldn't pursue uh, stem in 11th and 12th and so that's kind of where all of this started um and so at that time i had to work with my school and uh really try and figure out uh with with nonprofits and write like a bunch of letters to the chairman of the board um demo how assistive technologies are used and you know all that kind of stuff uh to, to get the permission to study sciences in 11th and 12th and so you know that was kind of the the starting um and then later when i was preparing for uh, engineering schools uh, and colleges in india um there were a lot of challenges in being able to get the accommodations that i needed to take the exam um specifically the issue was that uh they wanted me to work with a test reader and a writer who had no experience in sciences at all um they you know the idea was to give me someone who was a humanities student um and that was really challenging because there's a lot of specific notation right and and, and that we use in in stem and physics and chemistry especially you know in an exam like uh JAE which is yeah. the the entrance to IIT it's not really you know some random trivial exam that you go and take um so you need someone who will be able to understand what you're saying and uh, explain you what the question is uh by reading the question properly uh, and that was something that was not uh provided uh or you know I couldn't get them to agree to uh for a very long time um it was in november of 2012 when and this was when i was in 12th um and uh that was a time when i realized okay well this is not going anywhere and this is going to be a big risk Um fortunately I had uh my aunt living in California pretty close to Stanford um and also a teacher who was a Fulbright fellow who just returned to India and you know was talking to me about like you know all of the good things in the US and how I'd be able to uh take advantage of the inclusive education system there how there is a disability office and all that kind of stuff and that got me really excited um I still had no plans to go to Stanford until that time um and I was like hey you know no I'll just continue you to work, to prepare for IITs but then i was so overwhelmed and depressed about um some of the things that happened <clears throat> and and you know just you know me not being able to get anywhere um as far as you know working with the authorities to reach some sort of a solution that would work for me that i was like okay well i'm done with this 
Um, and now is the time when I should really seriously start thinking about international admissions. And so I took my standardized tests really, really late, um, hoping that they would still accept it. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's kind of how I applied to a few universities in the U.S. Um, Stanford, Stanford was my first choice. Um, fortunate to get into that. Yeah, I, I still remember, uh, you know, when you had just finished your class 12 and you had gotten to very high 90s. And uh, there was a buzz created and then the disappointment of uh, the JEE kind of not working for you. But it was it was wonderful to hear that you managed to get to Stanford with a full scholarship. Right. And uh, so uh, what was the kind of experience you had at Stanford? What was the ecosystem like? What was uh, what was it like studying there? It was amazing. Um, and I think, you know, amazing, not just from an accessibility perspective, like they had a, a really um, well-staffed, well-resourced disability office to cater to their students with disabilities known as the Office of Accessible Education. Um, you know, I I did not have to type my textbooks for one, yeah. <laughs> which I had to do in 11th and 12th. Um, and so I, I um, got all of my uh, textbooks in accessible format well before, um, you know, uh, anything was due. Um, so um, th that was great. I um, could request tactile diagrams or um, people who could explain diagrams to me. Um, I had accommodations for exams, etc. So, you know, in terms of accommodations, it was um, everything that I could have asked for. It was, it was pretty amazing. But I think, um, you know, that was really not the highlight. The highlight, again, is uh, what, what is the highlight for most people who go to Stanford, uh, which is just the community that you are a part of, right? Like right. everyone is extremely high achieving, extremely ambitious. Um, you have access to opportunities and resources that, you know, like you, otherwise you couldn't possibly dream of. And, and it's interesting, right? Like many of these opportunities I can't get now. Like, you know, now when I reach out to people and say, hey, I work at Microsoft or I'm a co-founder at ISM, we want to talk to me. A lot of the times I would get no responses. But when I would say, hey, I'm a student at Stanford working on a project, it's almost guaranteed uh, that, you know, people would reply to you and be like, hey, yeah, I want to talk to you and, you know, help you out. I still remember I was, you know, I, I took a bunch of entrepreneurship classes uh, at Stanford. That's kind of how um, I got excited about startups and, you know, wanted to do something of my own. Um, and, the, and the kinds of mentors that you got as part of those classes were like some of the most well-known uh, VCs or uh, venture capitalists, right? Like, right. like who does that in the classroom setting? And, and so those are things that, that only happen at Stanford that I was very fortunate uh, to be a part of. Um, the professors were amazing. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you would realize towards the end of the quarter, uh, the academic quarter, that the professor who was teaching you was actually a Nobel laureate, <laughs> uh, which, which of course, I mean, of course their achievement is great, but also what is even better is just how, um, how, how grounded uh, everyone is. And, uh, you know, the willingness that everyone has there to help each other um, out to succeed in whatever way you can. And, and again, you know, success does not mean one thing, you know, it's not just, oh yeah, you know, you, 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 you know, build a company which is like trillions of dollar or anything of dollars or anything like that. It's like whatever success means for you, like how can this place help you get where you want to get to, right? So um, that was pretty amazing uh, for me to see. Um, also as an international student who had never lived alone and, and being blind, um, I was and my parents were very um, kind of nervous about this. 
um, but just the level of support, uh, the, the awareness around disability on campus, um, the, the, the willingness to talk to you as a person first and not as a person with a disability, um, all of that was something um, that I saw a lot at Stanford, uh, probably much more so than um, you know, anywhere in the US uh, after my Stanford experiences as well. So that community was amazing, probably the best community that I've been a part of. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually there that I also started working on some startups uh, during the school as well. And so I used those entrepreneurship classes as a way to basically work on, uh, you know, some ideas that I had uh, in the space of disability where I wanted to have impact. Um, and so, for example, back in 2016, uh, 2015, I believe, um, I co-founded uh, nextbillion.org, which was a mentorship platform for people with disabilities in, in tech. Um, you know, we were able to get a, a couple of companies on board. And so, you know, things like that um, were, were very helpful um, to get like a real world perspective as well, while you were still, uh, still a student um, and could get all the help that you needed. If you know of anyone with vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness, please share the IWA National Toll Free Helpline number 1-800-5320-469. The number is 1-800-5320-469. I'm sure when you left India, you had certain dreams and aspirations. And when you went through um, Stanford, uh, those aspirations either would have taken uh, more firm shape or they could have changed. Uh, what was it in your case? So I think it was a little bit of both. Um, so I kind of knew that I wanted to do something in the, in the space of assistive technology. Um, but the way I was thinking about this was more... Uh, research. Um, and I, I went to Stanford, hoping to study human computer interaction, uh, to explore how we could improve uh, interfaces to be uh, more user friendly for people with disabilities. Um, when I went there, I got very excited about artificial intelligence, uh, and entrepreneurship, um, started to learn a lot more about business. Um, and, you know, by the time I graduated, I, you know, my, my thing was, I, I still want to do something in assistive technology. I still want to have a lot of impact, but at the same time, I wanted to, I want to create something uh, that will be a business that can scale um, and uh, that is going to be, you know, investable as well, right? So uh, ensuring that people understand and our customers, whoever the customers would be for that business, understand the need to invest in that business and invest in what we're providing as opposed to just thinking about people with disabilities as charity, which often happens, right? Um, so that was kind of a, a good sort of big change in my mindset that I, I you know, that, that happened at Stanford for me. When you came towards your uh, last months or the last year at uh or the final semester at uh, Stanford. What were your professional options and how did Microsoft happen? So actually Microsoft happened in my second year at Stanford. Um, and I interned with them. Uh, I started out on their accessibility team uh, and I was working on, on Narrator, which is Microsoft's screen leader. Yeah. Um, and so I joined that team. I worked on that for three months. I ended up getting a return offer that I took to work on Cortana. That was the time when I got excited about uh, AI. And so I wanted to work on a personal assistant and see how I can help it to understand uh, natural language better. Um, and so I worked on, on natural language processing for Cortana. 
Um, I then worked at Uber. Um, and so when I graduated, I also did have a return offer from Uber, had offers from a couple other companies, but I also did have a return offer from Microsoft uh, to join them full time. And plus, um, I was actually working on an interesting startup around uh, flight price prediction. Um, and so there were a couple of things going on there. And so at that time, uh, it was, uh, you know, the choice, the, the primary choice for me was, um, whether I wanted to start something right away or whether I wanted to wait it out a little bit um, and then get some ex industry experience, get some mentorship um, and then and then kind of do it. Um, and so I, I thought that the latter was a better option. And so I decided to uh, go with the Microsoft uh, uh, Cortana offer um, as, an, as an FTE, as a full-time employee, um, while I continued to work on um, other startups, et cetera, on the side um, as I was doing it. You've been with uh, Microsoft, what, for about four or five years now? For about five years now, yeah. And what has been your trajectory in terms of professional forward movement? So I started out at Microsoft as a software engineer uh, on the Cortana team. Um, and so I was responsible for um, apps and services, uh, uh, essentially um, managing a lot of the backend services for Cortana. Uh, and, and then I decided I wanted to do AI. Um, so I switched to being an artificial intelligence uh, scientist, uh, working on language understanding again to help uh, Cortana understand um, our intents and you know, our natural language. Um, but then I got this opportunity to work on accessibility innovation. Um, it's, uh, it's the team that manages a program known as the AI for Accessibility Program. Um, it's a five-year, $25 million grant program that Microsoft launched in 2018, where we give out grants to organizations, nonprofits, uh, you know, academic institutions, startups, et cetera, uh, for them to work on accessibility and really push the limits of what's possible um, using AI and you know, using uh, the, the kind of technology we have today. Um, and so my role on that team is I lead funding rounds for certain funding rounds, uh, for certain rounds. Um, and so this would be um, managing, writing the RFPs, uh, managing the selection process, managing the portfolio, um, et cetera. Um, so for example, one of the rounds um, that I led was a low cost assistive technology round where the focus really was on, um, uh, on, on um, Ensuring that assistive technologies can be um, can can be available and, uh, and and are easy to use in a country like India or in Africa, etc. Um, so a big part of my role is 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 that uh, managing that. Um, the other thing is I also do work very closely with Microsoft research and product teams to productize uh, new experiences um, in the accessibility space using AI. Um, and so, you know, now with, for example, Chad GPT being the town of uh, the, the talk of the town, um, you know, what what exactly is possible, and you know, how do we make sure that um, we can come up with like interesting scenarios that would empower people with disabilities, but also how do we make sure that the that the kind of responses that the the conversational agent is giving us um, does not have any ableist language is inclusive, right? So both responsible use of AI as well as the use of AI in new ways uh, to create delightful experiences for people with disabilities. Um, that's kind of the other um, aspect of my role besides the grant making opportunities. To support our work with the blind and visually impaired, you can visit the donate page on our website www.scorefoundation.org.in. Please note www.scorefoundation.org.in
I N. Uh, in India, we talk about uh, you know the banking system uh, not being accessible, the net banking having problems, uh, mobile apps having problems. Uh, what is the experience in the United States when you use mobile applications and the internet banking and so on, or or, or electronic wallets? Uh, what is the general uh, experience you've had? I think it's pretty good. Um, I think most companies um, try to comply with the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, and so most, uh, most of the times you actually have pretty accessible um, experiences. Um, what is a little tricky sometimes is that there are reg regressions, right? Where, um, you know, they introduce an update and that update broke um, uh, accessibility for certain aspects of the app. Um, but then these companies are very receptive and responsive, right? So when you send them an email or you tweet at them saying, hey, this is broken, like they uh, take immediate action. And so um, from, a, from a digital accessibility perspective, I've not faced uh, any major issues in, in the US. You've started something called iSTEM. Obviously, as the name suggests, it's got to do with uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and promoting that, uh, uh, providing access to that to probably visually impaired people uh, in India and the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me a little bit about this uh, iSTEM project of yours. Yeah, so it started out in 2018. It started out as an as a self advocacy group of blind and low vision um, uh, people in India and abroad who um, had pursued STEM or were pursuing STEM at that time. Um, and our goal was to um, make it easier for others to access resources um, while also changing the mindset of uh, you know the administrators and and corporates, uh, the education institutions and the corporates in the country. Yeah. Um, and so um, we started out with uh, a bunch of events like inclusive hackathons where we would get people with and without disabilities um, together to hack on problems and so you know they would develop empathy in the process learn from each other but then as, as, as part of that many of the, the team members would recommend uh, people uh, who are blind uh, to, you know uh, they would refer them for for jobs at their company because they realized how good they were um, and you know ultimately you, you come up with the same end product even though you might have a different process that you might you might be using um, and so uh, that was something that was that was pretty good. Um, we also did technical training programs, mentorship, all that kind of stuff. In 2020, um, late 2020 or so, we realized that there were certain systemic issues um, here uh, that we really should be working on and leveraging our own technical background. Um, and so uh, the biggest one was digital inaccessibility, like how do we make sure that the content is accessible, um, especially STEM content, right? Because um, you know, as I said, when I was in 11th and 12th, I had to type out all of my books myself. Right. Um, and so we have developed um, an AI powered service uh, that you can use to convert any sort of inaccessible content into accessible formats. Now you might say, oh, well, OCR does that, but this is kind of the challenge that we've realized that um, OCR solutions extract text, but don't really keep the layout, right? Like if you have a table in the document, that's all going to be uh, messed up. If you have a, a multi-column document, that's going to be messed up. Um, if you have a header or a footer, or if you have a list that is not going to be represented correctly. So what we do is we not only extract the content, but we actually also maintain the layout information. We retain that and we expose that in a way that actually makes sense for the user um, that will be compatible with their assistive technology so that they can go and use it. Um, and so um, we 
um, we, we have a mobile app um, called iSTEM Accessibility Solutions on Android. Um, and we also have a portal, uh, a web portal at istemai.com. That's I-S-T-E-M-A-I.com um, that you know, anyone can go to. It's a free service, upload a file and convert it into an accessible format um, and, and, and you know, get, instantaneous, get, get results. Um, we are also working um, with organizations, corporates, et cetera, to help them be more accessible as well. Uh, in India, particularly, um, we recently launched, for example, an accessibility rating index uh, that covers the current state of accessibility of 10 popular apps in India. And the idea is to uh, engage with these companies, these service providers to help them uh, be more accessible for people with disabilities. So when you've uh, worked in India, did you uh, also kind of engage with the government and what has been the kind of response from the government? Mm -hmm. uh, so the web accessibility solution that we developed was actually um, a part of the innovation challenge that was organized by the Ministry of Electronics and IT. Um, and so it was it was really good to see the government taking a lot of interest in um, in, in developing a homegrown kind of accessibility solution that also covers the uh, GIGW, the, the guidelines for the Indian government websites. Um, also, the the, mo the most recent uh, event that I was talking about where we launched the rating index for the 10 popular apps, um, we, we were fortunate to have the Secretary of the Disability Division, MSJ, join us. Uh, and we, we, we've been uh, exploring um, I've been talking to him about like what's possible. Um, we're also speaking to the Ministry of Education, trying to see um, how we can get uh, you know our uh, content accessibility solution integrated with Diksha, which is the national school education portal as well. Um, so it's great to see the government being uh, very open to um, innovation um, and also accessibility. You know, in recent times, uh, especially in the last three four weeks, there's a lot of talk about changes in and growth in the AI space. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about bots and uh, as you mentioned, uh, chat GPT, and there are several, I was also reading about uh, Lambda a product, which is coming out from Google. Mm -hmm. uh, so how do you think this is going to impact uh, the bots? Uh, I mean, that seems to be the thing of the future. How is mm -hmm. bot going to kind of change the way say blind people are going to be educated? So I think uh, it's it's going to transform. It's going to transform everything. Um, we we are already seeing uh, amazing use cases of generative AI, uh, which is basically AI being able to produce uh, text and you know have conversations or images, what what have you, right? Um, so the way I think about this is that we have an opportunity where um, we can think about new interfaces, new ways to interact with technology, um, and new ways to get tasks done. You know, I think gone are the days when we had to figure out how to get a task done. I think I think AI is getting to a point where we can just give it like high level instructions on what we wanted to accomplish and it will be able to accomplish it. And so um, that's particularly uh, helpful when, uh, you know, the, the task itself has a component that might, for example, be a blocker for someone using an assistive technology. But if the AI is able to understand that, that task and, you know, help you accomplish that task, then nothing like it. Um, and so very excited about, you know, what's possible, very excited about how we can leverage it to um, create new experiences for people with disabilities. Um, the other thing also is um, excited about how this can be used to disseminate information um, that 
is hard to reach um, a lot of people with disabilities, right? I mean, not to forget that um, a, a substantial portion or a substantial number of people with disabilities in our country um, still probably don't have uh, like the basic uh, level of information about AT or their rights and whatnot. Um, and of course, um, you know, helplines like iways have been extremely helpful. Um, but what opportunities we have to scale this information access as well so that um, more and more people can take advantage of it um, and can get the AT that they need to be successful in life as well. So um, definitely a lot of potential there as well. Very excited about where we're headed. You know, a lot of technology is being developed, you know, and, and, and the people who develop these technologies, are they mindful that blind and visually impaired people are part of the universe they are working in mm -hmm. or working for? Um, no, they, they aren't because they're never taught about it and they, they, they don't realize it because they never interacted with one. Right. Um, accessibility is not a part of uh, any CS curriculum that I'm aware of, except for, you know, maybe one or, one or two instances here and there. Um, right. Um, and so no one really knows about it. It's not that people people don't want to know about it. It's not that people deliberately choose not to make things you know, accessible because they're like, you know, yeah, what, what's the big deal if, you know, I don't make it accessible to blind and low vision. That's that's not really the point. But like, how do you even learn about it? Right, like how, like how do they know that they have to think about, um, you know, specific needs and uh, you know do things differently to make sure that this is accessible to everyone? Like people don't even know about what screen readers are, so uh, let alone WCAG and you know other things like that. Uh, right. it's, it's hard, but I think there's also another problem, right? Which is um, we can't expect everyone to go and read WCAG. That's not happening. We can't expect everyone to to uh, go and you know read all of these training manuals, right? Like it's just not going to happen, right? right. Um, and so, how do you make sure that you know when you do have the opportunity, like Copilot, GitHub Copilot, or ChatGPT, or other ways in which you're able to provide feedback to, or maybe even just as simple as linters, which you know essentially you can get feedback on the accessibility of your code as you're coding. Um, if you're able to provide this feedback using technology, I think that's the way uh, to go. Um, otherwise, getting down from that 97% inaccessible to 0% inaccessible, I mean, you know, that that's, that's really hard. You've come a long way since, uh, say, 2012. Uh, yeah. How has the family kind of responded to you? Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, obviously, it's super excited. They're, they're super happy uh, in how everything is shaped up. Um, obviously, wouldn't have been possible without their support, right? Like uh, throughout my school days and, and whatnot, right? And even now, of course, uh, you know, you, you have this uh, very strong support system behind you that lets you take risks, um, that lets you kind of do what you want to do. Um, and so very fortunate that way, but, you know, they're pretty happy about how things have shaped up as well. Great. It's wonderful talking to you, uh, Karthik, uh, as always, and uh, wish you the very best. Thank you so much. Pleasure being on the show. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Score Foundation. I will, yeah, Roshani ka karvan.